This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to My Mate Bought a Toaster. Uh, I'm back and this week my fabulous guest is the very wonderful Susie Ruffle. Hello, good morning Susie. Although I I say that, I mean people can listen to this podcast at any time they like. Yeah, so I mean good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Yeah, very good. Absolutely spot on. Very good Jim Carreying. I met Jim Carrey. (laughs) Did you? Yeah. And the temptation. What happened? Well, because of, of my um, side hustle as a presenter on Magic FM. I, I love magic. Love a bit of magic. I love in- magic. There you go. I interviewed him because of the Sonic movie. Oh, yeah, because he's, is he the baddie in it? He plays the baddie. Yeah, I can't remember, Dr. Zbutnik or something. And he's really, I mean, he's very good. He pulls loads of faces, Susie. I don't know if you knew that about Jim Kerr. <laughs> and um, all I could think of, I know he's done, you know, he was such an iconic actor in the 90s, wasn't he? Like, when you think yeah, about Yeah, I think certainly for people that are into comedy, yeah. or what, like, he was quite important, wasn't he? Big time. Truman Show and yep. and The Mask. Mask. Yeah. All the bits and bobs. Um, anyway, the temptation to say to him, Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night was phenomenal. Huge. Just in case I don't see you. Just in case I don't see you. Yeah, it was right up there with, uh, it's right up there with the um, temptation to say, I don't believe it, to... Um, Victor Meldry. Victor Meldry, who I, this is absolutely true. I was once walking out of a tube station, Charing Cross tube station, and uh, Victor Meldry walked in front of me, and I, I, I said it. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. And he heard me, and I'm... and. And, and I didn't say it in any sort of, there was no kind of showing off and, and about it or, or trying to be funny. I just, yeah. I, I just said Gen- it. Gen- genuinely didn't believe it. Exactly. Exactly. It's because he's got a catchphrase that you do say when you bump into him. And I felt awful. I felt awful about that. Um, so anyway, listen, Susie, uh, thank you very much for sharing your Amazon purchase history with us. Um, That's okay. But I've realised that it's um, quite minimal. I've realised I don't use Amazon that much. Well, I quite like that. And I like the fact we can talk about, you know, the, I mean, are there reasons why? Maybe we could delve into that because we're not, this is not affiliated with Amazon, this podcast. And in fact, I'm sort of hoping that it will, this, this podcast will make us less celebratory of Amazon and more inclined to stop buying stupid shit randomly and actually go to shops, if you know what I mean. Well, I love going to a shop. Okay, good. All right. So let's, let's dive back. All right. So the earliest thing that I can see that you've bought is in 2014, Susie, which isn't that long ago. Is that the first thing you ever bought on Amazon then? I think it is. Yeah. God, okay, good. I mean, I, I would say in all our many, many episodes, you are the, that, that is the latest Amazon purchase. So probably congratulations there. Thanks for that. Cheers. Mm. Yeah, I think that I, I mean, I think this comes from my parents. I think I didn't trust putting my card details on the internet for quite a long time. Oh, really? I think I was really scared of getting frauded. Oh, because my mum is still like that, but she's 75. And I, you're not, 
quite 75 yet, are no, you? No, I'm not. I know. I'm not quite 75. Just a few years off. Um, <laughs> but honestly, my skincare regime is really remarkable. Um, but I think that, um, I think, yeah. I, so my mum's very worried about buying things online. She needs a new freezer at the minute. Mm. And I said, why don't you get it online? And she said, I'll get your brother to do it. So, yeah, so this is the thing we've had. Jen Brister had this a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, um, yeah, with her mum. Yeah. <laughs> I've met Jen's mum. She's lovely. Okay. And I can totally imagine the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think my mum's worried that she's going to put something wrong in and then she's going to somehow not receive it, get in trouble or have to like sort of change the card and deal with some sort of thing at the bank. Mm, yeah, yeah. So she's a very much in-person shopping person as well. Okay, so the Ruffle family very much propping up the high street. Well, do you know what? It's been a while and I was hoping that eventually someone would say it. Oh. Thank God for us. <laughs> but you see, where they live would be very much... They live in a little place called Hailing Island, which is just across the water from Portsmouth. Yes. But it's there's a bridge on and off. Yes. One bridge. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, yeah, they've got a little high street and they've got, like, you know, shops that sell sort of everything, like a bits shop, you know, like you can get a fishing rod, um, a tablecloth. You can also get some Christmas decorations. <laughs> Any time of the year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's sort of, you know what I mean? Those shops that like, you can get a magnet with Hailing Island on it. Yeah. My mum and dad are very much sort of poppers out to shops. And I think that mm. I've become a popper. A popper writer. Well, then how a have they got on during lockdown? Because that, that joy, that pleasure hasn't been available. Have they been... Well, let me tell you, I've had to get my mum's vape liquid... Over the internet, because right. it was a real issue and she thought that she wouldn't have a vape liquid. Yeah. So your mum's a vapour, is she? She's a vapour, yeah. Mm, love a bit yeah. of vaping. I love a bit of vaping. Lovely smells. Love caramel. Have you ever tried the caramel? Oh! I, I tried a, 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 a bit like a banana. I think it was Romish's. I don't know if he still vapes, but when he, he had some sort of like, basically one that tasted like pudding that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. This is what happens. You walk through a cloud of pudding on the high street. Yeah, it's delightful. It's, great. it's like much nicer. Um, even if it's masking actual COVID-19, it still smells nice. <laughs> nicer than normal COVID-19. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, than, than plain vanilla COVID-19. Um, we need to talk about some things you bought. So let's crack on, yes. right? So um, May 2014, uh, there's a whole flurry of cat-based activity. Um, we've yep. got the, the canvas uh, small carry bag for yep. a dog or any pet. I'm assuming it's a cat because you've also bought a cat litter tray, toilet yep. with a hood, um, and yep. a, what is that, a hand, a green scoop. Um, That's a pooper scooper. Pooper scooper. So is it, hang on, this is for cat or for dog? For cat. Okay, all right. So is this when you got the cat? This is when I got the cat. Tell us about your cat, please. Come on. Okay, so Val McKelly, uh, named after <clears throat> the main cat, the, the lead character in uh, the film, well, the musical Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a Cornish Rex, which is a cat with curly fur. Oh, I think which is a weird thing. I've never heard of a Cornish Rex. She's a great. She's a great looking cat. Oh, um, yes, please. And I got her because I really wanted a dog. But my ex didn't want a dog. So I Googled what cat is most like a dog. And loved your uncle. We got Velma. <laughs> so in terms of most like a dog, in terms of their personality traits. Yeah. So like when I get home, she like runs towards the door oh. and she follows me around and she quite likes playing with a ball. So she'll bring a ball to me and I'll throw it for her. Oh my God. This is the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um. So she's... So I had to go up to like Sheffield to get her because that was the closest place I could find someone that bred them. Oh, so not and I, Cornwall. And I have, no. Mm. And I have mixed feelings about animals that like animals that get bred. Like I get 
now I'm like, oh God, would I do that now? And is that, is that okay? I suppose if it's responsible breeding, that's fine, which I believe it was. Yeah. I mean, Velma's mum was some sort of champion cat. I don't know how they measure that, but she was. <laughs> was she just adorned with medals? Yeah, like weighing her down. I actually worried for her neck. <laughs> but so we got Velma. Okay. And we had to drive all the way up to Sheffield. And that was, um, on the way home, she was obviously terrified. She was like, who are these massive skin people? Yeah. That are that are taking that are taking me away from my mum. Yeah. So she cried quite a lot on the way home, which obviously broke my heart because it was like a four hour drive. Oh god. And then I think a mixture of nerves and <clears throat> um and fear. Mm. Um and travel sickness. Yeah. She was then sick in her little so she had a little that little blue bag that's on the the picture yep. which is like a little blue carry case lovely she was sick on her she was sick oh, and then she fell into it and then she pooed Oh, and then God. she fell into that. I mean, to be fair, imagine if when you, it was time for you to leave, um, did you did you grow up in Hailing Island? Like I grew up in Portsmouth, Portsmouth so very near. So imagine if the time came for you to leave Portsmouth and some giant people arrived with a blue bag. You, I, I'd sick up on in, in the blue That's bag. That's how I left Portsmouth. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's how everyone leaves Portsmouth. How did you yeah. leave Portsmouth? When, when did you leave Portsmouth? What what happened then? What, what, well, what year I was think it? my mum's um, a champion person, so she's adorned with medals. <laughs> And so I think the people found out about us online, realised that I'd been bred quite well. Yeah. And um, yeah, they just came and got me, put me in the back of their car, took me to Sheffield. The, com- the comedy industry got you. They came yeah. and picked you up. Uh, uh, when, no, when- I left I left Portsmouth at 18 to go to drama school. Which drama school did you go to? I went to Alra, oh, right. which is the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts. Glorious. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. It was really fun. But I, I, I liked doing bits of acting. I still, I mean, I haven't acted for years, but I'd still like to do it. Mm. But um, I had the best time. It was brilliant. But it was all, <clears throat> you can, retrospectively, I can see now that it was all going going towards comedy. Yes, yes. Rather than the bard. So, Hal, did you go for three years? Yes, I did. <clears throat> right, okay, okay. And then out into, and what, so, so then out straight into comedy when you left? Uh, I sort of did bits and pieces of acting. I did quite a lot of waitressing. I hope you don't mind me saying this. I'm a very good waitress. I think I could have won medals. Um, I think that if it didn't, I I, I definitely could have been, I I, I quite liked waitressing as well. It was, I didn't mind it at all. That's my job in between. So where did you, what sort of places did you waitress at then? Lots of different. So like a posh little cafe on the King's Road. Right, right. um, That was like a, a daytime thing. Oh, but then they occasionally did like special nights in there. I occasionally would wait uh, people's weddings. Oh God, how was that? Yeah, usually fine because we, it was um, it would it was never be like silver service. It was always like mini burgers right. and little things like that. So yeah. it was usually quite fun, nice people generally. But it was quite stressful because you knew that you had you were like there to on the person's most important day of their lives. Oh God, which I think is a bit of pressure. Oh my God, I wouldn't. I would hate to deliver a glass of red wine to a bride. Uh, I mean, I was I was very much not at the level to be. Uh, that was very much the owner of the business that would be taking the wine <laughs> to the bride. I was I was very much sort of a footman. Yeah, right. Okay, but also um, surely quite good practice for stand up because you've got to have you got to have some good retorts and some good lines, right? It's, you, it's a show, isn't it? You've got to have a bit of patter. Yeah, 
at that point I worked at a bar and they had a comedy night on a Thursday every month and I would always work it. And Rich Wilson was on one. He was the, he was the host every week. Right. And I said to Rich, I really want to properly have a go at stand up. And he gave me his copy of Time Out and circled all the things that were open mic nights. Yeah. Yeah. And said to me, just ring those numbers. Yeah. And you'll get, they'll give you stage time. Yeah. And so I didn't even, I didn't have no clue, no clue what open micing was. Um, and so, yeah, thanks to Rich Wilson. So when was that? What yearish was that then? Oh, that would be around 2008, 2009, probably okay. 2008. Okay, okay. Yeah. So by this point, the adventure is up and running. Um, and you yeah, are... Yeah, was it 2008? Maybe, no, maybe it was a bit later. Maybe it was 2009 or 2000. Yeah, it'd be 2009, I think. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Okay. All right, that's fine. Yeah, because I've just, I've just gone past 10 years of doing it. All right, okay, okay. Um, so the stand-up begins, and, um, well, we can see this re- reflected in 2016, January 2016, when you buy the black sparkly sequin dicky bow tie. <laughs> I mean, that's everything we need to know about your act, right? Yeah, that's it, that's it. So it's sort of, <clears throat> it's music hall. I say stand-up, it is music hall. Um, Mother-in-law I, stuff, yeah, cool. Yeah, I do a lovely Burlington Bertie. <laughs> it's really nice. Obviously, I do the sort of girls dressing up as boys, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. following my father's footsteps, all that sort of carry-on. Um, I don't know what that was for. I put that, I, I, I bought that, and I don't know what that was for. You bought another one on the I same know, day. You bought two, you bought a new men's solid colour, plain silk. Now, that one, I know what that one was for. That one was for a wedding. Uh-huh. I was going to a wedding, and I wanted to wear a dicky bow, because I had this very nice suit. Right. That I got because I was doing a gig for a charity, and I ended up, um, I, it was one of those charity nights where, there wasn't any other comics on and I was hosting, but they right. wanted me to do gear in between everyone. So it was a bit of a weird situ. So gear but by gear, you mean bits, bits of actual bits material. Of, yeah. Bits of material. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, they, uh, and I was doing it and it was, it was quite hard, but I sort of made it work and it was for a gay charity. Mm-hmm. And I ended up sitting next to this sort of, quite charming sort of middle-aged man who who um who was a gay guy and we were chatting about different things and anyway long story short i found out that he's quite an impressive tailor we had a few drinks together he offered to make me a suit for free and was like when you're a star come back to me and get a suit and i was like that's not confirmed still not confirmed (laughs) tbc uh tbc tbc v march tbc (laughs) and um and so I had this fabulous suit that was really lovely and I didn't know what to wear with it. So I bought a dicky bow to wear to a friend's wedding. But I, so, so the, the pink dicky bow, I understand. The sparkly dicky bow, I have no idea what that was from, okay. what it was for. Okay. okay. <gasps> oh, I've oh. just remembered what it was for. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I'm about to drop a massive name. Are you ready? I love this. Well, we've already talked about Romesh's vapour, so it's going to get even better than that. The sparkly bow tie was for Alan Carr's 40th. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yes, please. Yes, that's what it was for. <laughs> he had a like cabaret themed 1920s vibe. Again, the musical thing, Susie. Yes. There you go. That's what it was for. And I've just remembered that. Can you tell us, please, about Alan Carr's 40th? What else was going on? Who did you see there? What happened? And um, who snogged who? I mean, I don't think anyone snogged anyone. God, come on. Sorry. God's sake. Um, I went. Uh, with my partner at the time and my agent, who's a really good friend. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously Alan was there. Gok, 
who's a friend of his. Got one, nice. Who's a very, very nice man yes. who I got chatting to. Good. And I think the rest of the people were just friends. Oh, that sounds nice. Where was it again? It, where did it happen? It was in Brighton, at some place in Brighton, but it was really fun. And it was because I had recently done tour support for Alan. Uh-huh. And I'd been all around the country with him. So we got to know each other. And he is the nicest, kindest, most brilliant, funny man. Yes. I had such, a, it was so much, such joy yes. touring with him. Actually, probably one of the highlights of my career even now, because it was at a time when I was still sort of working out what quite well, I mean, I still am working out how to do comedy, but <laughs> I, even more so then. And um, he was such a supportive person to be with mm. for sort of six months of going all over the country. And um, his audience were just so up for it and so brilliant. And he gave me a great introduction. I just sort of fell in love with comedy even more from being on tour with him. This is brilliant. From Rich Wilson circling places in Time Out <laughs> to Alan Carr giving you, you know, giving you that talk. Because it is important when you, you've got a tour with the right person, you've got to have a good crowd. Well, yeah, it's really, that, that's sort of, I mean, that's been very much how I've... Um, done comedy for sort of the last 10 years uh, well no probably not 10 years probably like you know seven or eight years is that I have been all over the place with mm. other acts so mm. I, I've, I've did um, I've done more dates for I've done more gigs with Josh Widdicombe than anybody else wow. ever and I don't know if I'll ever gig with someone as much as I've gigged with Josh <laughs> uh, because I, the first date that I did with him was in front of about a hundred and 110 people yeah. in this little room up in Hull or near Hull. Yeah. And the, you know, the, and then I still support him now sometimes. And sometimes now, you know, it would be like Hammersmith Polo, 3,000 people. And so I've done every sort of sized venue on the way up with him mm. because I supported him on his first tour as well. What's, and, um, what's Josh like as a person to tour with then? Oh, great. Really, yeah. really lovely. I mean, he's one, he's one of my really good mates as well. So, I'm probably, you know, it's, we we just have, because um, I mean, we've been, we've done touring together for so long that we know exactly what each other like to do. Mm. We, we'll stop and have a cup of tea. Yes. We'll stop and, you know, we'll maybe have a drink after the show. You need to we'll be very back. synced up, don't you, in your tastes. You need to have the same, uh, the same moment where you want to drink, the same moment where you want to eat. You need to have, you need to be similar beasts. Well, I think, and I think it's the sort of job as the tour support to sort of be a support. Whenever I'm, whenever people ask me, um, whenever newer acts sort of say, oh, you've done tour support, I'm doing a bit of tour support, how, and because I've done so, so much of it, I think it's really your job as the support to like sort of sink in with them. Yeah. So like, you know, it's about, you know, it's a real privilege, I think, to open for someone on tour. And it's really, you know, that person's really sharing their audience with you. Yeah. And, you know, now I tour by myself in, you know, in, in venues. 3,000 seaters. No, in venues yes, not nearly right. as big as Josh. <laughs> but, you know, I'll play the sort of middle-sized rooms or, you know, rooms around the country. Yeah. Uh, you know, big art centres, small theatres. And um, and lots of people that, that, that come and see me will be people that saw me either with Josh or with Romesh. I did a few dates with Kevin Bridges. I did some with Alan. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I'm, you know, enormously lucky that, yeah. that that I got to do those. So yeah, it's really fun being on tour. You're very lucky. I mean, really you're quite fun. good as well, Susie. I do. I would. I would put that into the equation. I think. I think I'm quite you're, good. You're not shit. I'm very, I'm very easy. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop and get you a cup of tea whenever you want one. And I think that's a big part of being a support as well. That did. That is a talent in its own. <laughs> 
in its own right. When you write the book on how to be a comedian, always stop well, and get a cup I think, of tea. I think as soon as you arrive, as soon as you arrive at a theatre, find out where the kettle is. <laughs> I would say that is a great job as a tour support. Where's the kettle? I'll make a tea before we do the tech. I need to boil water now before exactly, I can relax. Exactly, but that's simple things. Yeah, you, you, so you know what it's like. I mean, this isn't necessarily a, a podcast about comedy, but you know what it's like when you feel comfortable uh, with someone and... Um, in what, what you're doing, you have better gigs. Yes. You know, if you're having fun on the road and it's the same, <clears throat> like, you know, sometimes when, you know, we'll do, um, and I, I'm using the Royal we as in comics when you do club weekends, yeah. <clears throat> if there's a good bunch of you backstage and you're having a, a laugh during the show, the energy on stage is even more, isn't it? Because everyone's having fun well, I, and you're sort of taking that fun on stage. I'll never forget the worst experience of my life backstage at the comedy store. I've never had a good gig at the comedy store. I absolutely hate it there. I always died on my ass there. And I was uh, backstage with, and I was, I was like 23, uh, with a comedian who was so unfriendly to me, stared at me and started talking uh. to me. And absolutely, I've subsequently got to know him and I'm not going to fall into that trap of going, he's a nice guy. He's really nice to me now. I still think he's an asshole because of that one experience because I was so junior then. And um, he made me feel so nervous. I was drinking a pint of water and he was just asking all these questions and jibing at me and trying to make me nervous to the point where yeah. I dropped a full pint of water onto my crotch, right? Oh, Literal no. crotch. As the compere <gasps> said, please welcome to the stage, Tom Price. I shit you not a jot. Oh, and that my was God. my third open spot there. And I went on with pi- what looked like piss all over my crotch. Absolute. Full nightmare, full nightmare. But then, having said that, once you once you play the comedy store in what appears to be urine-soaked trousers, <laughs> I love that band. Yeah, they're really good. They're, they're really, really good, good, aren't they? It's sort yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort uh, of new metal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a quite metally smell. Yeah, quite a tang to it. Why do we have to park again? Hello, I'm Chris England, and I'm here to tell you about the Fun Factory podcast, available now on Great Big Owl. Each time, I will be reading a couple of chapters of my novel, The Fun Factory, a historical comedy about the history of comedy. So it will kind of be like a free audiobook, which you can listen to at the gym, or jogging, or at your desk while pretending to do your job, or on the train without the embarrassment of people seeing you actually reading a book like some kind of SWAT. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. Soak up the yoga sweats. Yeah. So that is a towel that fits to the size of a yoga mat. Oh, that's good. And has like um, a little bit of rubber on the bottom so it doesn't move when you're... I was very into yoga for a while. Okay. I don't really do it now, but I was... um, I was very into hot yoga. No, it's not Bikram. Right. It was hot vinyasa. Oh, which, God, yes. To anyone yeah. that, yeah. Very spicy. That That's four chilli peppers on the menu, isn't it? That, that one? is, it's, yeah, it's about 40 degree heat. And it, and I became really obsessed by it. It sort of coincided with me going through quite an anxious phase of my life. Mm-hmm. And it was very much, I would go sort of <sighs> at least five times a week. Right. And it was how I... But burned out that anxiety. Yes. Sort of exhausting my brain a bit and sort of helped me sleep. And so it's probably like maybe an 18 month period where I was not that my anxiety was bad for all of that, but um, for part of it, certainly. And when I started, certainly I was that that, that was part of the reason that I went to sort of try and help me sleep and try and, you know, get a bit more mind and body Mm. alignment. Mm. and so, yeah, I got really, really into it and I loved it. And I still really like working out. That's sort of something that I'm, I actually really like is probably the wrong word. I do CrossFit now, which I really enjoy, okay. but because we're in lockdown, I can't go and, you know, move a tire from one side of the room to the other. Yeah. Um, so now I'm doing jogging, which I hate. Oh, why? Because it's really boring and I can't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> It is. I uh, do, do you have like uh, asthma or something? What what's with the breathy thing? Because I get it a uh, bit as well. I have a little bit of asthma, but not enough to really make it as an excuse. I think I don't have the. It's funny. I have the determination when I'm like in a CrossFit class or in a yoga class to like really push myself for forty minutes. But when I'm by myself, I could just walk. And that's mm. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's the motivation. It's the motivation. It really is. Yeah. So you need a tire on your back. We need to be carrying a tire. And then something like like that. I need to get this over there. Um, Talk to me about the anxiety then. So, so was this one out? Here's the thing. I'm I'm completely projecting here and this might be way off. I have the most anxious times because I get anxiety. uh, The most anxious times I get are when I have success. So things are going well. And your career by 2016 is going pretty well, isn't it? Uh, were the two things married up or are there other things going on? I think I was just, I think I was anxious about work. It was, um, I was getting more honest on stage. I was doing more, my comedy had turned into sort of confessional stand up, which is sort of what I do now. Mm. And so I was working out, so I was sort of bare on stage in a way that I hadn't been before. Not that I was talking about anything that was particularly challenging, but I was being a very honest about sort of how I felt about the world. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't know what was going on in world politics then, but I'm, it probably wasn't great. Um, 2016, pretty uneventful. Pretty uneventful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the sort of beginnings of me really talking about myself on stage. And a couple of years later, I took a show to Edinburgh that was that was about anxiety. Oh, interesting. And okay. was about it was called Nocturnal, and it was about the fact that I'm I'm up at night worrying. Right, right. Which okay. I actually do a lot less of now because okay. sometimes when you say it on stage, it goes away. 
<laughs> yes. Oh my God, the therapification of stand-up comedy. I mean, there yeah, it is. Yeah, sometimes, right? Not always, but sometimes. From the yoga mat in January to the Edinburgh show a couple of years later. See? The, yes. the journey of your anxiety. Okay, good. Good. All right. Um, I'm glad that, you know what? I'm glad that that was a really nice bit then, Susie, because it had a happy ending. The number of times people <laughs> say things like that on the podcast and they go, yeah, and I still really suffer and it's really bad. And I'm like, oh God. Oh God. Well, I think I've just become more... I mean, this is, uh, I mean, I'm not going to do a bit, but something that I say on stage is if you don't have anxiety, I don't think you're concentrating. <laughs> and and I think I've just come to the, to, to, to the to a place where I think that a lot of us feel like that. And now, because a lot of us feel like that, I feel a lot calmer about it. Yeah. What we need is a non-anxious Twitter. That's what someone needs to invent. <laughs> where I can just, somewhere, that, somewhere I can bury my head in the sand and look at yes. nice videos of Andrew Cotter commentating on his dogs. That's all I need ah, to see. Yes. That's all I need to see. Um, all right, Susie, uh, getting towards the end now as I'm mm-hmm. browsing through the bits and bobs. And I like the fact you're not a prolific Amazon shopper because it means we can really, you know, the, the odd thing we see, it's a bit like the Dark Ages because this is an archaeological dig through your digital <laughs> life, see? <laughs> and the, old, the one thing we get, we can build whole things around it. I mean, there's not um, too much interpretation to go on with Tales of the City uh, by Armistead Morpin. Well, I've, I've still not fucking read Tales of the City. It's a great book. What's wrong with They're me? It's a great series, yeah. I mean, my partner and I were going... So it's all set in San Francisco. Yeah. In the eight, 70s and 80s, I think? Yeah, 70s. Um, yeah. And... Um, and it made me fall in love with San Francisco. Well, my partner and I were meant to be going to San Francisco for our honeymoon uh, last week. Uh, spoiler alert, we're not there. We didn't get married. Oh. But, um, but but part of the reason that I've always wanted to go to San Francisco is because of those books. Yeah. I just yeah. loved them. And they're, you know, they're some of the characters are gay. Some of the characters aren't gay. It's... Um, <sighs> I don't know. I, I remember reading those books and really sort of, I think it was probably before. So I bought those books a second time. So I had already read them before I bought them. Mm-hmm. So that so when you've got that, whenever I bought those, that was just so that I had a copy. But I, but I read them a lot earlier because I borrowed them from a friend. Mm-hmm. And it was during a time when I wasn't that comfortable about my sexuality and um, I've really found sort of, I don't know, friends in those books. I really found it really sort of gave me hope for a friendship group. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, although there's sad bits in the book as well, but a, a life of being of being okay and being a gay person. Yeah. And so I think they sort of really meant quite a lot to me. Certainly, and I read them, you know, initially in my early 20s. When people say, and this is so hard for me as a boring, you know, middle-class, white, straight guy, but when people say, and I've heard this before, gay people talk about not being comfortable in their sexuality. And mm. I'm really interested because I want to understand that experience. What does what what does that mean? Does that mean you, you don't like your what you want to, like your, you, what you're attracted just, to? Or does that mean the other people who are like, I don't understand, I don't understand. Well, I think it's probably different for different people, but I'd say for me, I had an overwhelming shame around how I felt. And I felt quite embarrassed um, about sort of who I was. And I think that that was, and I was very scared of people finding out. I was worried what people would say about me behind my back. I mean, which sounds sort of crazy now because, you know, being gay is very, these days, you know, very much intrinsically part of me. And it's something that I'm, I always sort of thought of it as the thing that might ruin my career or the thing that might, 
that people might not like about me. And, you know, I think it's actually become the thing that whilst I have a very straight audience on tour, there's always gay people in. But I think that that difference is what people, people are interested in people that are different and they don't mind like, you know, and you know, the fact that, you know, someone's got a wife and I've got a girl, you know, a guy's got a wife and I've got a girlfriend. There's, you know, there's probably that, not that much that's different about our relationship, except, you know, you, you can totally laugh at all the observational stuff about relationships I do because our relationships are probably very similar, yeah. but mine's just a bit, you know, mine just happens to be a same-sex couple. But I think that I worried that it made me too different. Yeah. I worried that it would mean that people didn't like me. I think, you know, we, we still live in a world where it's illegal to be gay in, oh, I think it's 70 countries. It's yeah. punishable by death in 11. You know, so you, we're still in a world where, you know, gay gay people, gay people die because of being gay. Mm. And so I think that you sort of grow up with this sort of like kind of backpack of shame of sort of always feeling like other or embarrassed that you're other, Mm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, now I'm someone that sort of talks about it very openly. I'm very comfortable with my sexuality. I've got a podcast about coming out Mm -hmm. where I interview inspiring people from the queer community and it's, um, but as a as someone in their, their early twenties, or certainly someone as a teenager, I would never have. I, I very much tried to hide the gay part of me, and I was very embarrassed about it, and very very ashamed of it. And, and now I'm, um, um, I'm very comfortable, and I'm. Yeah. It's sort of weird. I'm occasionally like on lists of in, influential gays. And how I'm does like, that make you how, feel? Is that weird? How did I become a, a VIG? <laughs> Um, when I never wanted to be gay, I always hid it and I didn't want, I was very, very ashamed of it. And I sort of did everything to not be gay. I think that the the world we live in at the moment, obviously we, uh, yeah, like you said, all the places where being gay is illegal and all those things. But in terms of our bubbles that we live in, we can very easily convince ourselves. Yeah, but that's over now. Everyone's fine with it. It's just not a thing anymore. And hearing that story makes you think, Christ, there will be teenagers now going, oh God, and feeling all that shame now, even though, even though we've come a long way, there's still. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, gay conversion therapy is legal in this country, Yes, which not a lot of people know. It feels that feels like a very American thing, but it happens once a week in King's Cross. Uh, It's just so, makes me so fucking mad. Yeah, it's really annoying. <laughs> annoying. That's please don't put annoying in. It's really upsetting. No, but please put it on a placard and stand outside. This, this is, is annoying. Annoying. <laughs> that would have more impact. <laughs> but I think those books, Tales of the City, really. I don't know. They. I guess when you're not ready to talk about things yourself, it's nice to read or watch someone. Yeah. That that has managed it. Yeah, especially then as well. A long time. Yeah, ago. totally. My mate. So, nearing the end, Susie, and there's a couple of other lovely things here. We've got the wooden push-along penguin. That was December 2018. Absolutely lovely. Uh, We've got a classic set of four mid-century teak dining chairs. Yes. (laughs) Beautiful. Love that. £45 for the lot. That's not bad, I mean, I didn't think they were going to show up, I have to admit. I paid for it on PayPal and I was like, oh, they've just given someone my money. That's definitely not. That's not going to happen, is it? Yeah, just burnt some money, but they've turned into chairs. They've turned into chairs. I'm, I've got, I've, we've got a little flat in southeast London right. that's in a, a, a new development thing. My, my girlfriend and I sort of managed to get on the property ladder last year, yeah. doing that sort of help to buy scheme, which is very helpful. Yes, and um, 
it's very much a mid-century vibe. I've got lots of mid-century furniture. And does this next thing uh, feature in that as well? And this is the last object that, for me, you know, this is uh, this is Susie Ruffle in um, physical form. The Harsons and Jane digital print waterproof uh, shower curtain yes. uh, of a great big zebra with all the colours of the rainbow on the zebra. So that is presumably the first thing you see before you get into the shower. Well, listen, that that is for... That was for an, an old flat that I lived in before... Well, I lived in this one. You need to go back to the old flat and get it. Mate, so that, so brilliant. I was, I, that was at the time when I was living with. Do you, do you know Jenny Bead, fellow stand-up? Yes. She actually supports me on tour. She's a musical stand-up. She's brilliant. Of course. So we used to live together, uh-huh. and that was the shower curtain in our flat. So has Jenny Bead a, got your fl- shower curtain, or is it gone? Is it RIP'd? I think it's RIP'd. No, dear, that's a shame because it's wicked. You can buy it again. I mean, it might be worth doing. It's a giant fucking zebra on a curtain, Susie. Yes, I know, but now I've got a glass one. I've got a glass door. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, Tom. Don't grow There's nothing up. I can do. This isn't what I want to hear. I don't want you going from the person who has a zebra to the person who has a glass door. That's that's so... And buys chairs. This is worrying. I, I, listen, this is who I am now. Oh. I'm a chair buyer. <laughs> I'm a chair buyer. That's what's going to be called. Susie Ruffle, chair buyer. I like... I like I'm into chairs and furniture. This is who I've become. I'm yeah. into mid-century G-plan furniture. Um, I'm into... Uh, weird art deco things to put on the wall, faces and things like that. Yeah. I'm into uh, uh, buying a chaise long and getting getting it covered. Yeah. This is oh, who I am God. now. I don't want to disturb you, but you are you've sort of turned into my mum. If that's and I, I imagine your mum. I imagine there's quite a few bits in your mum and dad's. I don't know if your dad's still around. Definitely in your mum's house. Yeah, there is. That, that I would take happily. <laughs> honestly, my mum has worked in a charity shop for the last fifteen years. The amount, the amount of dead people's tat that she's, she's essentially when you die in South Wales, all of your belongings go uh, into storage in my mum's bungalow. Um, See, I feel like there would be some things in there. <laughs> so I used to. There was a charity shop in Streatham called All Aboard. Oh yeah. And it um, was I, the, the people that put their stuff in there. They also had one in Hampstead. Hampstead was slightly better. Mm-hmm. Um, I once found a Chanel jacket in there. Oh shit! For like thirty quid. I mean, that is that's about you, three chairs. That's that's. I mean, some in some places six. <laughs> Fuck. Tell me, you bought it and ran. Of course I was. Yeah, and then I used to wear it on stage a lot. Oh. And, and and now it's still in my cupboard, but it's um it looks yeah. a bit old and tatty now. Who cares? Who cares? It's still got a story. Chanel, to yeah, right. Chanel. Chanel. My God. I wonder if the woman who, who used to own it died wearing it. I mean, there's a thought. <clears throat> yeah, I mean I do think that about a lot of we've got lots and lots of my nan's stuff in the house. And so my nan died a couple of years ago. Right. She had like some really cool sort of Art Deco style lamps. There's these sort of uh, these birds that are, I mean, they're sort of engraved into copper, right? And they're on the wall. They're quite cool, or at least I think they're cool. I think my girlfriend. I think the jury's out for my girlfriend. But <laughs> I was so close to my nan, and it was so recent when we her death was so recent when we bought the flat that she knew that she. That they were going up. She didn't really have any choice in that. <laughs> if, um, if my marriage is anything to go by, Susie, when you guys do get married, the day after you get married, yes, your other half will then take away all the things like that that they don't really like. <laughs> Just so you know, because my wife has been on a mission since we got married like 10 plus years ago. And I think last year, the last item that I bought before we were married was sadly taken to a dump. It was a really lovely table, but it was shit. She was right to get rid of it. So there, there will, just so you know, there will be a clearance 
So it's almost worth holding out on the wedding. I right, delay, so delay, delay. Can, yeah, delay, yeah, delay, yeah. delay. Okay, absolutely, good to know. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, listen, Susie, this has been so nice. I could talk to you all day. I, I think you're absolutely brilliant and I love all these items. Thank you for coming on My Mate Bought a Toaster. What an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. What a, what a thrill to be invited. Um, and what, when well, I listen, you've mentioned podcasts. Give us some of your podcasts that you do. So I do a podcast with Tom Allen called Like-Minded Friends and it's just basically two people overhearing uh, two really good friends having a chat about their week. Good. It's uh, it's sort of no more, uh, no more than that. But we really like it. Some day, some weeks it's really light. Some weeks it's heavier. And it's just a very honest sort of conversation about where we're at in our lives. Often very funny. Well, at least we think it is. Um, and then I have another podcast called Out with Susie Ruffle, where I chat to. That's the one I mentioned earlier, where I chat to people from the LGBT plus community. Uh, but it's very much not a podcast for gays. Um, it's a podcast for anyone. So, uh, because the, the lineup that I managed to get for the first series was just brilliant. It was, uh, Dustin Lance Black, who wrote the film Milk and won an Oscar for it. Of course. Um, yes. Baroness Ruth Hunt, who's the ex CEO of Stonewall. Uh, Tom Allen, Joe Lyser, Emma Kennedy, the TV writer. Um, and, uh, lots and lots of, of other brilliant people. Kaylee Llewellyn, who recently won a Welsh BAFTA for oh. writing In My Skin, yes. uh, which is this brilliant My um, God, that's a show lineup. and I player. That's a good one. So lineup. yeah, it's Fuck. really, and so it's, it's just a, it just, just chats about how they became happy in their own skin. Mm. And I think that's hopefully something that lots of people, queer or not, can have an interest in. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Susie Ruffle, thank you very much for joining us on My Mate Bought a Toaster. Um, Cheers, mate. Thanks, bye. Bye. Oh, that was so good. That was so great. That was such a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Oh, the amazing Susie Ruffle. Please listen to those podcasts. They're so, so good. She's so fantastic. And um, when this is all over, she'll be back doing stand-up and you must go and see her. That's the end of My Mate Bought a Toaster for another week. I will be back next week. I like this bit because I should try and think of something interesting to say, but I don't, I've got nothing. Just words, just more flim-flam. And nobody needs more flim-flam. You, you've, you've enjoyed the gold. Why would you listen to this bit of bronze? Um, give us a review and a rate. You know that. We've had a few and they've been lovely. And it really makes a difference if you just chuck a nice thing on there. It, it ups us on the lists and stuff and and thank you for telling your friends because our numbers are going up and up and up uh, hour why do I say hour uh, my numbers are going up and up and up and I'm really proud of this show and I'm really grateful um, that you're listening I'm, I'm going to go bye bye Hello, I'm Justin. And I'm Lucy. And together we are the hosts of Plenty Questions. It's a very straightforward general knowledge quiz. We ask you 20 questions, one after the other, five second gap in between, and you shout the answers out. And then you tweet us to let us know how you've got on. See if you can get 20 out of 20. No one has so far, but that's because we haven't started doing it yet. Mm, but we will. Uh, and there's also going to be some fiendish brain teasers. So join us for Plenty, Plenty Questions. questions. 